I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. Maybe a touch late, but we figured it out. Mm-hmm. We're here. We're live, and we appreciate everybody <laughs> for tuning in for another great show. Technical difficulties. Yeah, but now we're here. Resolved. And uh, it's, it's news and rumor time. NFL draft rumors. This is fun. We get to discuss uh, the latest new mock drafts, new, uh, hey, you think one thing's going to happen. Well, guess what? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Burning questions, you might say. Could call them burning <laughs> questions. Would that be a better title? No, Perhaps. it wouldn't. That's no, it my wouldn't. suggested title for everything that we do. Uh-huh. Before we get into it, though, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff the other thing to bring up before we get started is anyone on twitter yesterday might have seen this go around a little bit but former pff colleague uh doug kide cousin doug um he has a two-year-old daughter who was just diagnosed with some kind of leukemia um obviously a horrific situation for them there's a gofundme that's been set up to to help them raise money for it um any any contributions to that obviously would be incredibly generous for everyone i would urge anyone that has uh, spare money to donate to donate to that we'll put the the link in the description here it's also um on my twitter or you can find it pretty easily as a lot of people tweeting it out right now doug is extremely good people and uh nobody deserves to have to go through that yeah and i think uh, the football community has already rallied last time i checked it was close to forty thousand dollars raised i think it's a lot it's, higher than that now it's a lot higher now i'm sure um we saw what people have have done in the past with Demar Hamlin and everything. So we again, yeah, we appreciate everybody. Uh, my my Twitter as well at pff underscore Steve. I've retweeted um, right below all the 2005 NFL draft tweets mm. from last night. Um, but yeah, um, appreciate Doug. He is my wife's stepmom's cousin's Doug. daughter's husband. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you to everybody. Um, I did live tweet the 2005 draft last night. You live tweeted the 2005 draft. Yeah. It was exciting. Did that gain you followers, lose you followers? What did that do? Six to eight new followers, I think. Six to eight new ones. Some people liked it. A little nostalgic. You should... uh, We had three running backs go in the top five. Yeah. Like, Elon is out here trying to monetize Twitter and stuff. You should... I mean, there's a subscription service you could do now. People could sign up and pay you money to have you live tweet things that happened 10 years ago. It'd be... It'd be great. Some people like mm-hmm. they like the nostalgia. We saw Alex Smith go number one overall. There was a rumor Alex Smith, the Niners were willing to trade him. This was back in the day where there was a lot of these uh, draft and trade deals. Well, it was the year after the year after the Manning's forced that one. Yeah, so they were the Niners were open to trading Alex Smith <laughs> to the Browns, who had the third pick. And then if the Niners did that, they would just pick Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. at three. That's how close they had Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers. And uh, Mel Kiper had Alex Smith a smidge above Aaron Rodgers that year, six and seven. 
Mel's top player was Mike Williams, wide receiver out of USC. BMW. So he loved when Mike Williams went number 10 overall to the Lions. Mm. And we did have three running backs in the top five. Ronnie Brown at two to the Dolphins. Cedric Benson, rest in peace, to the Bears at four. And Cadillac Williams to the Bucks at five. So a lot of good stories there. And Aaron Rodgers just sitting there in the green room the entire time. Yeah. Sitting in the darkness waiting to figure out which team he's going to play for. Sinking like a stone. And then everybody thought the Raiders were going to be the team. They traded up to number 23, and it's like, this is it. They have Andrew Walter. They're drafting Aaron Rodgers. And they had just signed Randy Moss. It could have been Aaron Rodgers and Randy Moss. Yeah. In the silver and black. Uh Uh-huh. But it was Fabian Washington, cornerback out of Nebraska instead for the Raiders. Yeah. And the Packers just, you know, took the best player on their board, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had run a 4-2-5-40. That would have then Al would have been interested. That would have been great. Um, all right. Well, we're, what are the rumors? What are we? What are we breaking down? Here? A lot of stuff flying around at the moment. Um, so obviously, it's all a lot of it is focused on the top of the draft, where we've talked about it a lot. But let's start with Schefter had this big. Uh, Schefter's been pushing for a while that a couple of things that are connected. Number one, Bryce Young is the guy at number one. This is now. The odds have swung back from C.J. Stroud when they traded to number one, Carolina, from, from number nine. Um, and now it's swung all the way back to Bryce Young, who is becoming a, a prohibitive favorite at this point. Schefter's been on for a while saying Bryce Young is their guy at number one. That, that's the pick. It's, it's basically a done deal. Even to the point of saying um, C.J. Stroud is visiting Carolina effectively to try and change their mind. Like, they're, they're done. Uh, he's also been saying we might see a quarterback slide from that point on. Like teams are looking at this as Bryce Young and then a gap. And the Colts sitting at four might pick the second quarterback in this draft. The Colts might get the second quarterback. Yeah. So Houston at number two passes on a QB. Arizona at number three passes on a QB, obviously, but more importantly, doesn't trade to anybody looking for a QB. Indianapolis sitting there at four with – to be fair, a fairly long history of sort of saying, no, well, you don't necessarily need to trade up. You can get, like, are actually going to be proven correct, and they can sit there at four and get the second quarterback off the board. I, every year I am uh, guilty of buying, buying into all the rumors. Guilty. Completely guilty of it. So, but this year I don't know if I feel that or not. But there, there's a lot around Houston saying – Eh, they're not going to take a QB. Well, that's been there for a while. It's but this is Schefter now backing yes. it up. It people started with it for other a while. people. Lance Zerline was was hard on it for a, for a decent period. He said he wasn't predicting it though. He was just kind of. I think his was more thought exercise. Yeah, but he so he wasn't predicting it in a specific mock draft. But he has, I think, since said that this is a very real thing, um, and I think that's particularly connected with the idea that Bryce Young is now favored to go number one. I think it's a different conversation if Bryce Young is available at number two. But if he's gone, I think the Texans passing on a QB at two is a very real possibility. Did I tweet the right link out? Probably I don't not. know if I did. Do we have the right link? Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I Listen, I know we generally say always draft the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Is that – but that that is also implying that you're willing to draft the quarterback next year. Like if – if I'm the Texans, I would draft C.J. Stroud because if for whatever reason I have a bad season and I'm in position to draft Caleb Williams or Drake May next year, I would draft them, 
next year. I, I know that most NFL teams don't think like that, and there are rare cases, very rare cases, where you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round back-to-back years. And it almost takes extremes, right? It was the Cardinals with Josh Rosen who had the worst season in the NFL mm-hmm. as a first-round rookie, and then they got the number one overall pick where Kyler Murray was there. And even though he's short too, like we had been past that, and he, he was he was a good he was a high end prospect. So I don't think it was that it wasn't crazy for the Cardinals to do that. So a lot of NFL teams don't want. They're like, I'd rather have Will Anderson this year, and maybe we end up with a different quarterback next year. But I also know the Texans aren't expecting to be picking one or two next year. So I don't know how you how you balance that. Then you have some people out there who were like. Davis Mills has the same stats as Justin Fields. They're the same guy. Yeah, I mean, the gamble for them is essentially it's losing out on the Will Anderson part of it. Because remember, they have that second first pick. They have a number 12 overall as well. So particularly if we're looking at this landscape now, and there was a time where it looked like a real possibility that the quarterbacks might go one, two, three, four for the first time, I think, ever. Um, that That is kind of gone and we're now saying the 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 prevailing narrative at the moment is actually it's they're going to slip it's not going to be quarterbacks one two three or quarterbacks you know three guys in the top five or whatever it's going to be quarterback number one and then we might see a slide amongst the next three guys so if you're houston you're saying well okay forget what we want to do at number two other teams are not as enamored by this quarterback group and they might slip all of a sudden you're saying it's you can potentially maybe not cj stroud but you could get will anderson at two and potentially get a quarterback at 12 like whoever the last guy remaining or even the third guy remaining is still draft a qb at 12 just for the chance you know that that he turns into a superstar and then if he doesn't you roll through the season and you still have a shot at getting one of those top two guys next year plus you have will anderson yeah i mean i i brought this up a few weeks ago if we're not good at selecting quarterbacks does it matter if you pick QB two or QB four? And are, you know, is that is that the Texan? Would that be the Texans thinking there? It could be Levis at twelve. It could be Anthony Richardson at twelve. Yeah, I, I think I think of all the quarterbacks that drop, it's more like more like Will Richard. Jeez, uh, Anthony Richardson. Hmm. Well, that's one of the other rumors right now is that actually the Levis hype is starting to pick up steam again. Now all of a sudden we've gone from everybody saying Levis is QB four, he's the worst guy to Levis could go ahead of C.J. Stroud. Where did I see that recently? That was, a, that was somebody's mock draft recently that had Levis going uh, with one of those top picks and C.J. Stroud being the guy that slips. Are we actually live? Who knows? That link still says we're waiting. I don't even know if, this is, uh, if we're actually on. Somebody leave a comment if, if you can see us, because I can't. Really? So... The Will Levis thing. The Will Levis might actually be QB2. Like, like me and Mike have said all along. As it happens. <laughs> isn't, so isn't that because we're preparing teams here? That it's if Houston passes that, we, that it's, oh, the, we, there's some sort of information that it's the Colts and Levis. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I, but this is all, this is like what. Um, Do you see us live? Uh, Click on the link. Like, I just see it says waiting. Same. But it could be my internet. Oh, no. No, I are live. You see? I see it. Um, th- this is what I've been saying for a could while. Whole that's terrible. All right. Sorry. Carry on. Everybody doesn't view this quarterback class the same. It's starting to look like everybody kind of views it with Bryce Young as number one. 
which is not something that was the case a while ago. Um, but after that, it seems chaotic. Like teams are not going to view the next three guys the same. You can't because they're so wildly different. You've got Anthony Richardson with literally unprecedented physical tools, rawness, inaccuracy, the, the whole dynamic of these toolsy quarterbacks over the last few years. Like what is that going to result in? Who knows? Um, but teams are going to view that differently. You're going to see some teams buy into it 100% and think Richardson's a star. I can turn this guy into something special. You're going to see other teams go, that's, that's like a third-round prospect. I don't want any part of it. Um, conversely, C.J. Shroud. I mean, you only have to look at the differences of opinion between, you know, guys like me and other people who are like, he's the best quarterback in the draft. He's got accurate – he's Bryce Young but with six foot three, right? And other people going, I've seen a lot of relatively concerning traits about his play. I'm not, I'm not into that. So people are going to view Stroud differently. And then – Will Levis, again, it's like how much do you buy into 2021 versus 2022, all those kinds of things. It's going to be a complete spectrum of how teams view these guys. So depend, I mean, and we yet despite there's 32 different views of that, but we know the order of the teams that are relevant. It's Houston at number two. How do they view it? Arizona at number three, less so because they're probably looking to trade, but you know the teams below that, the Raiders, how do the Raiders view this quarterback class? What do they think it looks like? Um, Atlanta, like these teams that are potentially in the quarterback market, it's all down to how they view those next three guys. Is this going to be a lighter version of last year? Look, last year at this time, we were saying, hey, I think, I think Kenny Pickett's going in the first. We think he's going as high as six right. to the Panthers. And he ends up falling to the Steelers. He's the only guy that goes in the first. And that was it. Mm. What are you laughing at? No, that's like like that's a last And then year, the next quarterback didn't go till the third. Yeah. Last year is a good kind of cautionary tale for how the narrative before the draft can get out of control based off just the fact that it's quarterbacks. Like we know we thought we knew that because the quarterback position is so important, teams will reach, teams will inflate quarterback value. Maybe that happened, but it was only with Pittsburgh. Like maybe everybody thought Kenny Pickett actually was a second or third round prospect, but the Steelers need a quarterback. So they drafted him at number 20 overall. But the gamble that we thought was going to be taken with at least Malik Willis, maybe maybe not anybody else, but Malik Willis, I think there was talk of Desmond Ritter sneaking into the first round at one point as well. Like, that never happened. Everybody was able to restrain themselves and say, no, these guys are marginal NFL prospects. Those guys are going in the mid, in the mid rounds. And, you know, there were third-round draft picks. Sam Howell slipped all the way to the fifth round. Like, the outside of Kenny Pickett last year showed that teams are, in fact, willing to restrain themselves if they really don't think these guys are high-end prospects. Now, I think all three of the guys we're talking about are better than any quarterback from last year. Like, Kenny Pickett, if he, if he was your number one, I think all three, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson, are better prospects than Kenny Pickett was. All right, let's, um, is there anything else quarterback-related? I think we're losing people here. I found it. We're, we're, we're good. My, I apologize. My internet's a mess. My, my laptop's a mess right now. Nothing's working. But let, what, what else is happening? What other rumors? Peter Schrager's always throwing mock drafts out there right before, a week before, that tend to throw some curveballs. Yeah. So um, he had five quarterbacks go in the first 12 picks. So Hendon Hooker. Yeah, that thing's not I'm going over away. the quarterback talk. Well, that's, that's a pretty that's important the big part one. of it. Hendon he had Hooker. your guy going in the first round. My guy? Jonathan Mingo. He did have Jonathan Mingo in the first round, yes. That's what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Where'd he have him going? 
He had Jonathan Mingo going pick number 29 to the New Orleans Saints. To the Saints? Yes. Now, I mean, of all teams, I probably wouldn't say the Saints, maybe, but I think Mingo going in the first round, he's uh, you know, he's in the 70s and 80s on a lot of boards. Well, he had Mingo going ahead of Quentin Johnston. Really? Yes. Interesting. So I, that's not why. I, see, I just find it interesting that you, you loved Mingo. Um, our friend Greg Cosell loves Jonathan Mingo. There's a few people. Uh, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl loves Jonathan Mingo. Senior Bowl guy, so, you mm-hmm. know, it's yeah. one of his children. <laughs> but would it surprise you if Jonathan Mingo went in the first round just because every bigger receiver has question marks and every other good receiver is tiny? So could Jonathan Mingo, as this hybrid of, like, he's big and fast and checks the boxes of former first-round receivers, could he be the guy that goes? I mean, it would certainly surprise me. Like, I, I could get it. I mean, he's a high-end, um, he's a high-end athlete. Like he, his forty time was good. His vertical was almost forty inches. He's big, six foot two, two twenty. In a world where, once you get past those first guys, and even the first guys like Jordan Addison, the big knock on him is the guy's tiny. Um, the even Jackson Smith and Jigba is not a big-bodied receiver, six foot two hundred type of range. Quentin Johnston's the one guy in the the top end of this this group who has size, but doesn't necessarily play like it. Like he's bad at the catch point. Now he's good with the ball in his hands, run after the catch skill. So he's got kind of part of what being a big body is useful for, but he doesn't have all of it. So if you're a team that really does covet size, you're looking either outside the first round, you know, you're looking just lower down the draft. You're like, we're going to address this in the second or the third, or you're saying who even is in this category like I'm looking at Jonathan Mingo I'm looking at Cedric Tillman I'm looking at these different types of receiver that to me are worth this low first round pick because this is what we need to other people is not worth that reach how do you feel I'm just going to take this conversation wherever it goes every year you get the comments we've got 10 to 15 first round grades 15 to 20 first round grades This year's not different than previous years. How do you feel about that statement? So um, Seth Walder from ESPN, he was the moderator for my panel at Sloan, uh, works for ESPN, does analytics and everything. And I think it was Brandon Bean who said, yeah, we get 10 to 15. He didn't actually mention it, but he was hinting at there's not a lot of Mm first-round players, first-round grades on players this year. And Seth was like, hey, you know, that's – it doesn't make sense, right? There's always 32 picks in the first round. This year there's 31 you're, you're not calibrating your board properly if you're saying that, right? There should always be 32, quote-unquote, first-round players. But I think, the th- obviously, what teams are trying to say is we have 10 to 15 elite players like that we would feel much more comfortable taking in the first round. Obviously, there's going to be non-first-round players going in the first. Yeah. What are your thoughts on those statements and, actually, and what you do with them? I don't agree with Seth that you should always have 32 first round player he didn't say that explicitly but he basically said you have miscalibrated if you said there's always 15 even though we know there's 32 picks right so that i think is a different point like the the idea i think it's important to understand that in a given draft like this one it feels like there's only 15 to 20 players where you're happy taking these guys in the first round and once you get beyond that you're like i don't love any of these guys in the first round that's why you know when you do these first round mock drafts you get to like pick number 24 and you're like, from this point on, everybody wants to trade back. I don't love the value at any of these players. I want to get out of the first round at this stage. And as it happens, you know, there's a lot of data saying that's a smart way of doing business anyway. 
Um, but I think that it might be specific to this particular draft. I think there's a lot of drafts where you get to the bottom of the first round, you're like, this is the sweet spot. Like, I love half a dozen players at this spot. I love being in this range. And that's probably because in that given draft, you've got 35 players with a first round grade on them. So I think understanding the relative strengths of a draft in the first round is important. And I have no problem with in any given year saying, this year we have 15, last year we had 24, the year before that we had 40. What I don't, what I do think you have got wrong is like you have miscalibrated if you always end up with 20. Like if, if you're always saying there's 10 less first-round players than there are first-round picks, then you probably have miscalibrated because that's not, that's not showing sort of reflection of what that actually means. Well, you, it should be netting out somewhere around 30, 32, if you're doing it correctly, right? And some years you're going to have more, some years you're going to have less. But if the entire process, you always have 10 fewer first round grades than there are first round picks then you're simply grading too harshly see i i think i think it's right i think it's the way to go i think every year there are 10 15 players especially non-quarterbacks if you just quarterbacks out of the equation because if i you know if i believe always take them because you never know i believe that there's only 10 to 15 players that you feel that much better about in the first round doesn't mean you can't find guys in the 20s or that you know somebody's going to drop or whatever I think it's the right way to do it. I think they're. I think it's actually the right thing to do analytically, and it gets backed up. That's why the Vikings traded from twelve from twelve to thirty last year, which looks like an astronomical move from twelve to thirty. But the data actually backs it up, especially when you factor in contract length and everything. Once you get to about pick twelve or thirteen, there's not a big difference between player thirteen and player thirty historically. There's just not. So I think it backs things up. So whether you call it a first-round grade or you call it an elite prospect or whatever you call it, I think it's right. And that's why I, you know, with the draft model and all that stuff, it's not just putting numbers on players. I really think teams could re reimagine their draft strategy. Reimagine. What if what if there wasn't really this straight-up vertical board and your horizontal board was was simply would I draft this player at this time, given all the information that I have? And there, and there should be good players that you're just like, they're a no for me. Good players. Potential good players. Players that other people think are top 10 to 15 players in the draft. And you're just like, they're a no for me. So in the first round, there's probably there's 10 players that you would take. And in the second round, there's 10 players that you would take. And by the third round, there's maybe eight players. And by the end, it's like, I only have a handful of players. that I, But there's still some everywhere, right, that fit the bill that 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 cross your threshold set that threshold really really high i think that's my point on all, all this i think the nfl is right by setting the threshold high because the nfl is overall pretty good at predicting elite players i think they get it right for the most part the players who go in the top 10 to 12 for the most part are the right players would you agree yeah like they like the hit rate's not I mean, it's, it's, it's probably 70 or something like, you know, I mean, 70%. It's, it's, it's good. It's not like they're, you know, three out of 10. And for, you could always be like, oh, Vernon Golston was a top 10 pick. And a, of course, there's always those players. Vic Beasley didn't make, whoever it was. But I think the NFL's good yeah, overall. The hit rate is better the higher up the draft you go. So, you know, they are better at it picking the higher you get. I just, I don't think it's helpful using the term first round grade then. Like, 
it's not a first round grade if you're simply articulating how good the thing is because the first round by definition involves almost every single year 32 picks so if you're if you're benchmark of a first round grade is actually looking at 15 picks it's not the same like it's a different thing it's not you're you're not measuring the same thing um i also think like anybody drafting using a single static vertical draft board is out of their minds at this point like there's much better ways of doing it than that like a horizontal i think i think most are working off again the horizontal board is saying you know on the left side it's like where would i take them top 10 first round whatever it is and then you're looking at the positions. So at any given time, you could say, I've created this tackle and this safety and this running back with all, all in a similar range. And my pick is coming up. I'm probably going to pick one of those three players. And that's where need kind of sneaks in there. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway, that's not really a rumor, but it's just kind of like the buzz and the news. Um, I agree. This draft does feel worse than previous drafts. I'll try to see. I'll try to put some I think my own worse, numbers to it's that. It's worse at the top. I, I think I like the depth of this draft in a I lot agree. of areas, but it's definitely you get you run out of those quote unquote first round players pretty quickly. Um, and even a lot of those first round guys, like once you get to Atlanta, you know, pick number eight, like I don't want to take anybody here. I, I've run out of players that I want to take in the top ten, and then you run out of players quickly that you want to even draft in the first round. But then you get to like the second and the third, and you're like, I don't care who I am. I like this pick. There's so many players around the second and the third rounds that you want to add to your team. So yeah. I'll it's, tell you, it's an unusual draft, I think. We're doing a seven. I'll tell you one of my favorite teams to draft with in the PFF draft, mock draft simulator. Good words. Mm-hmm. Um, is the Rams. They don't have a first round pick. They pick at 36. That's the second round. But they have a stretch. They have six picks out of 24. Six out of 24 picks for the Rams. They have 167. Between 167 and 191, not the most appealing parts of the draft, but mm. he had six picks in 24. And every time I go through the the sim, I'm like, I kind of feel good about a bunch of these players. I think not that they're going to be like day all day one starters. I honestly think the Rams in a six pitch pick stretch from 167 to 191 might be able to find three to four legitimate contributors in this draft. Yeah, that's how I feel. Well, good because they need them. And they do. I know. So the Rams, they're always one of the most fascinating stories just because of how they've operated and being on the, you know, the extreme end of the spectrum and everything that they've done. And now they are again, right? They're, we're in OTAs. The, the story that we're in OTAs right now, and they don't have a kicker, punter, long snapper. And the only QB they have on staff or on signed is Matthew Stafford, mm-hmm. who clearly they don't want throwing at all yes. until training camp. So our friend Zach Robinson's probably going to be running the drills over there right now. He's at probably OTAs. the only person capable of throwing the ball in the building. And we see we he can still drop dimes. He dropped in a mm-hmm. plus one point five deep ball to me. Yep, a couple of years ago he did against you. So he's definitely there. He's got to be their best quarterback at OTAs. But I think the Rams and we have a seven round mock coming out next week. I get the Rams. People are going to love my Rams draft. I feel it. I'm yeah. feeling it. Just don't take all my players in our seven round. Just going to make sure the model signs off on every player. Don't steal my model players. I got some good ones, man. I got some good ones. Okay. And tomorrow we're going to rank edge defenders. I'm excited for that. Yeah. There's a, they, it's a deep edge class, and you and I are going to give our edge rankings. Mm-hmm. It should be fun. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What else we got for rumors, man? So the NFL released its list of players that are going to be invited to the draft. You know, the guys that are actually there in person, go on the stage, give Raj a hug, all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, most of them were players you would have expected, guys that are generally the players invited to that are guys that they expect are going to go in the first round, you know, so they can do their thing day one. So they don't have to, like, come back the next day in the green room, like uh, sitting there like Aaron Rodgers all the way through the first round and then come back the next day and do it. Uh, so one of the players that was on this list was Georgia Tech edge rusher Keon White, who for a while was getting first round hype. You know, it was a guy that the what do we call it, model adjacent, the model identified him, and then once the he numbers, did, yeah, the model went, identified. Then yeah. once his measurables came in, the model was out. The model backed away from him, um, but all of a sudden his sort of first round hype disappeared, and yet the NFL has him on the list of guys that are going to go. So. Is Keon White, in fact, going to be a first-rounder? I've heard his name. I've heard some uh, different names attached to the Patriots recently. That would be a classic, like, Cole Strange. So they pick at 14. And, you know, what are their last last few first-round picks? You've got Cole Strange. You have Mac Jones. Uh, I don't think they had a first-rounder before that. But if New England trades down from 14, of course, you need a trade partner. But, you know, somebody trades up to get Bijan or whatever it is at 14. New England trades down into the 20s. They could be the team. I've heard them tied to Keon White before. I've also, <laughs> we've also heard them tied to Zay Flowers. Yeah. And in 14 is probably rich for both. But I could see that with Keon White. He is an interesting guy, right? Like that former tight end at Old Dominion. He's a good, productive player. He hasn't played a ton of football as far as edge defender goes. He's just a good power edge we'll the, see where he ranks tomorrow the patriots that. the first selection that the patriots have made over the last several years cole strange mac jones the second round kyle duggar which was a left field so how so many how many were not a, mac jones is the only one that was not a surprise that uh, was like they needed a quarterback he was the last qb on the board and it was kind of i think it was expected right by that point before that Nikhil harry i mean surprise the player was a surprise and I guess the position, because the Patriots just don't do that, but they did need a receiver. Sony Michelle and Isaiah Wynn. Isaiah Wynn was the first selection, then Sony Michelle uh, eight picks later. So um, Isaiah Wynn was not that big of a surprise. First-round player. Yep. Sony Michelle was a surprise. The year before that, Derek Rivers in the third round. Uh, the year before that, Cyrus Jones in the second round. Uh, then Malcolm Brown in the first round, pick number 32 overall. Dominic Easley, pick number 29 overall. Dominic Easley's – oh, yeah, go ahead. Jamie Collins was the last one in that – that's 10 years' worth. And Jamie. in 2012, they actually surprised everybody, too, by trading up to get Chandler Jones. They, uh, was it – they trade up to get Jones or Dante Hightower? Jones was the first selection, and then Hightower four picks later. That was when they were, like, trade down forever, and then they decided to trade up in that draft. Um, Dominic Easley was a complete uh, trend buster, basically, for them. They never went for those – you know, shorter defensive tackle types. They wanted the old school, long, three, four defensive ends. But New England always surprises. Seattle generally surprises with their first rounders. They didn't. I don't think last year Charles Cross was not a big surprise. Um, but overall, you never know what Seattle's going to do. They just have a, a different take on players. So New England could be that wild card here. Yeah. For a key on White. Um, did we have anybody try to bet that? Don't think or so. Or guarantee that. Anybody want to guarantee Keon White in the first round? Guarantee Keon White. 
But the other interesting thing there too is there's a lot of rankings like on the consensus boards. Keon White, Georgia Tech, much low. He's lower on the consensus board than say Will McDonald from Iowa State, Ada Dabare from Northwestern, um, B.J. Ojolari from LSU. Keon White's lower than a lot of guys. So him being invited, yeah, that's interesting. They know something. 46 on Arif Hassan's consensus board. I forgot that Arif, he also sorts between prognosticators and evaluators. Yeah. And I don't know if he weighs them differently. You probably want to weigh the prognosticators a little bit more, I think, versus the evaluators who are going to have more, they should have more unique takes. Mm -hmm. I hope you have more rumors to discuss. Um, so there's also the the concept that uh, there will be – well, okay, so where is B. John Robinson going to go? Philadelphia 10 is a popular pick, not just amongst yeah. Philadelphia fans who want to see that, but people are putting him there. Peter Schrager had him at 10. There's a bunch of other people have had him at 10. I had an article essentially – Articulating where you should draft a guy like Bijan, given how special he is. What Where's was your he case? End up being? What was your case? Okay, let's talk Bijan for a second here. I had I had a little Twitter discourse last night while I was firing up the 05 draft and, and, and doing some uh, offensive tackle analysis. So somebody said, how could how can PFF say that Bijan Robinson can go in the first round? How mm -hmm. can out of one corner of the your mouth PFF say never draft a running back in the first round? The data says that the analytics say that. Yet, someone else is saying, someone within PFF is saying, go for it. And my response was, we're not, PFF is not just one voice. So go ahead. You be the voice. Why is it okay for well, B. John Robinson to go in the first round? So, round? number one, I don't think the data does necessarily say that. Um, my point essentially is if you're getting, so you have a draft pick somewhere in the first round, B. John Robinson is on the board. I have a three tiered uh, checklist. If you can answer all these three questions and convince yourself that each one of them makes sense, then you can draft a guy. If you can't, no. So the first one is the easiest one. It's, is my running game functional already, or do I need this running back to come in and make a running game? Essentially the Pittsburgh Steelers question. Did they, needed, they drafted Najee Harris at 20 or 21 or wherever that was, and he was supposed to fix the run game. They averaged 3.8 or 3.6 yards per carry the year before they drafted Najee Harris. It was the worst run game in the NFL. And they're like, we need a first-round talent. We need this 230-pound bruising running back to come in, give this old-school presence in the backfield, and that'll fix the run game. And they went from 3.6 yards per carry to 3.8, right? The running back is not going to fix it by himself. You need the blocking. You need the environment already there. If you have that, you can think about it. If you don't, it doesn't matter what the next two answers are. You're already out of the running. So that's checklist number one so the eagles qualify right that run game's clearly already functional they can put anybody back there and they're going to have success so the eagles can still go move on to questions two or three then we have the contract thing um the because of the way rookie contracts are slotted now you know where you're paying these guys immediately and that also stays the same regardless of the position you're drafting them, which means the contract has different values, surplus values, depending on the position you're picking. So if you draft a running back in uh, pick number five, right, you're already paying that guy like he's the best running back in the NFL, even if he's not. So that's problematic. Whereas if you draft a wide receiver at pick number five, 
you're paying that guy like he's the 20th best wide receiver in the NFL and an edge rusher like the 15th best edge rusher in the NFL. Like, depending on the position you draft, particularly when you get into the high picks in the first round, the contract is very different depending on the position. So immediately, I think that caps how high you can take a running back in the first round. I'm not taking a running back in the, at number five because even if he ends up being the best running back in the league, I'm immediately paying him like he is anyway. And then if he isn't, I'm just I'm paying him like that. Any like even I'm paying him as if he is. So I'm just burning that money at that case. So there should be a cap on how high you can draft a guy like Bijan Robinson. And I think that probably starts to make sense towards the back end of the top ten, where the money starts to drop off quite quickly. And then obviously the further down you get, the better a bargain it is, right? So if you find the same guy in the second round, it's it's a steal. In the fifth round, it's peanuts. So. Question number two is simply, am I picking high enough where it's prohibitively nonsensical from a financial standpoint? And if you're picking higher than 10, it probably is. You're probably out of that running immediately. Question three is, what's the opportunity cost? What am I leaving on the table? Do I need something else more? And I think in this draft, what we just talked about, it's low on blue chip players. It's low on guys that even have a first first round draft grade. There's going to be a lot of teams where they get to a spot where they have to say, Bijan is the best running back. He's, let's say he's the best grade we've given out since 2014. So we're talking about maybe, I mean, he's been talked about a lot as being the best prospect since Adrian Peterson. That's 2007. That's like 15 years worth of this, right? So he might have the best running back grade we've given out since in 15 years versus edge number four versus wide receiver number three in a bad group of wide receivers versus, you know, offensive tackle four. Like, I think it gets quite quick where you can make the argument that those guys all play more valuable positions, but there's such a difference between Bijan's grade and their grade, it's worth taking the running back, and I can circle back for a different position. Okay, well said. Good stuff. <clears throat> what does So what does running back grade mean when we talk about not just PFF grade, but Every NFL team is going to project this guy. This guy's a nine. This guy's elite. This guy's generational. What, did it, what is it? The argument against running back is the difference between even Adrian Peterson or your best running backs at any given time, the difference between them and running back 10 or running back 15, that's the smallest margin of any position in the NFL because of the first thing that you said. Even Adrian Peterson behind an, a bad offensive line was going to struggle. But if you had at least a good a good enough offensive line, he was going to be he was going to be good. Um, so so the driver for the run game is is other things. Um, I'll add I'll add one more one more bit though to your case. What if what if you were drafting Bijan and you said I'm only doing it for four years, and that's it. I'm I'm locked into this because I make a lot of these moves thinking I'm going to be the GM forever here, man. I'm going to be the GM forever. Most GMs don't do that, right? They're just, uh, you know, two-thirds of the league is just trying to get through the next two years, not get fired. If I know I'm going to be here forever, is there a long-term play? Can I justify the running back in the first round if, just like the Panthers did, you're eventually going to trade him? So let's. So I like to think of every move as a balance sheet, right? What are you getting and what are you paying for what you get? And But then what do you... Um, what do you, what's your, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just a cost assessment, right? What, what's your cost? And then what do you get in return? Cost is the, is the first round pick. And then the contract, as you said, what I'm going to get in return for Bijan is whatever, let's call it war 
as a number, right? Whatever war I'm going to return. But is there another thing to add to your return, which is I'm only going to use him for four years. I'm going to use him for four years. I'm going to trade him. And at the end of four years, he's going to, be, he's going to have numbers and this and that. And he's going to be a 15-touchdown guy, and he's going to do all these things, hopefully. And I'm going to trade him for a second and a third. I'm going to trade. Like the NFL is not going to value running backs highly at that time. But we saw Christian McCaffrey. Now, that's an extreme example. McCaffrey's top three running back in the NFL. Maybe the best when he's healthy. But I'm going to trade him. And I'm going to get something in return. So the long-term play could be four years of elite running back play plus some other return on the end. And if you're a team like the Eagles that can make his stats look really, really good, you can make his stats look incredible. You're going to have a good offense. He's going to make it a little bit better. He's going to score a ton of touchdowns and all that stuff. Maybe that helps with the value at the end of the day. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly only viewing any running back that I take as a one contract proposition unless you end up with a bargain type second deal like the Austin Eckler contract which you're, you're not going to get if you're if he's as good as you think he's going to be when you're drafting him to me the question becomes um, it's the certainty element which is the difficulty in this because you're not just dra- you're not just evaluating how good you think a guy is it's how much certainty is involved in that so he belongs in the conversation that Quentin Nelson was in, which is, yes, this guy plays a position that is not valuable. However, we are so certain that this guy is not just going to be good, but is going to be elite, that it changes the rules of where you draft him. So the Indianapolis Colts end up selecting Quentin Nelson, number six overall, I think. And you hear all the time, you can't take a guard in the top 10. That's crazy. That's madness. Like, it's not worth it. He'll never be worth it. And Nelson ended up not just being a good guard, but was literally the most valuable offensive lineman. So not guard, all offensive lineman over his first four years in the league. So they changed the rules and they said, forget it. Normally you wouldn't draft a guard before, you know, the middle of the first round. We're going to take this guy at six and he's so good that he's going to end up being worth more than that. So that's the argument with Bijan. It's he's so good in a draft that is very low uncertainty that you change the rules for him. I think you can – I think we overrate the guard thing. I, I mean, maybe – again, I'm using – I'm just using war as a proxy because I think it's good. Like, I think it's a good number that says if you have more war on your team, you're going to win more games. And I think it does do a good job of identifying player value. Quentin Nelson, at his best, is one and a half to two times more valuable than the, better, the best running backs in the NFL by, by this war metric. You can't bank on it every year. There's injuries, all that stuff. But you can make a case that the guard – the other part about the about war, wins above replacement, the distribution for guards is massive, right? An average guard brings something to the table, right? We always talk about creep back to an average. But a bad guard is really bad. A bad running back is actually not going to crush your team because, again, there's other factors. So the, that's, that's the argument against running backs as well, Sam. The distribution of value – at that position, even if you feel, let's say, 80% confident that Bijan's going to hit the top end, 80% confident that Quentin Nelson's going to take the top end, that is going to hit the top end, I think top end Bijan is not making the same impact as other positions. So the other thing I think you need to compare it to is if you think he's that great, even if 80% confidence, what does that actually do for your team? Are we talking about who, which, which running back has had the most impact over the last five years? 
on their respective teams. It has to be Derrick Henry, right? Mm-hmm. Nick Chubb, maybe. Christian McCaffrey, maybe. I mean, Henry is another guy who was good enough that it changed the rules. Like, that's the, that's the conversation. But that's what you have to get. Like, the return you have to get, yeah. I think, is a Derrick Henry-like return. I'm only making this argument for Bijan. This is, not a running, this is not an argument that applies to all running backs. This does not also apply to Jameer it's Gibbs. It's literally just this one yeah. guy. It does not also apply to Jameer Gibbs. It does not also apply to Zach Charbonnet. It applies to Bijan Robinson, who might be the best running back to enter the draft in 15 years. Like, that's the conversation we're having, is that he is special enough to the point where it changes the rules on what you know about all these things. Now, the biggest, the two biggest points against it are, number one, the ease with which you can find good running backs lower down. And lower down is cheaper, cheaper opportunity costs. All those things are better the lower down you get a guy, right? So if you're able to find a Nick Chubb, like if Zach Charbonnet comes in ends up being Nick Chubb 2.0, you automatically goofed almost regardless of where you drafted Bijan because you could have had the guy lower down who's giving you most of what you get. So Derrick Henry was so good, he changed rules, and yet Nick Chubb was almost as good, maybe as good. You know what I mean? It's not, and, and obviously Derrick Henry didn't go in the top 10 or anything like that, but that's the conversation you're having. So if you think you can target that guy lower, then yeah, you are passing up. But, but the, the, um, the issue being... Bijan is supposedly in this special realm of rule breaking. The problem with that, the other problem with that is that the NFL gets into trouble when it starts looking for exceptions. That's the thing that I find difficulty with is Quentin Nelson is an exception. Bijan Robinson, I think, is an exception. The problem is it's very easy to talk yourself into exceptions. Like, yeah, I, I'm concerned by this, but this guy's different. This guy's the exception. And when you start chasing exceptions, you get everything wrong. So I think part of being good at this job, and by this job I mean like general manager, player selection, not our job, is knowing when to break the rules and when to actually stick to the formula and just play the percentages. Knowing when to break the rules is how you end up with special talents that you wouldn't have taken otherwise because they don't tick a box somewhere or they or the numbers the date the data the percentages says go in a different direction let somebody else take the gamble but getting it right knowing when you break that rule and saying this guy's different that's how you end up with potentially game-changing players is he the best that we've seen i mean yes people are asking about him versus saquon barkley we were having significantly better than saquon barkley was as a prospect but saquon's a Saquon's a better, more dynamic receiver. And, and we Is put he? a lot... I think so. Yeah. Why? I, I think, See, I think, I think Saquon's big playability was always the most attractive thing about him. If you just evaluated Saquon... It wasn't necessarily at, as a receiver. As a receiver and a runner. I think the, the evaluation for me with Barkley was he's, he's actually not the most polished runner. He's going he's gonna to have a lot of negative plays, much like a Barry Sanders. Stop um, it. What? We embrace... We embrace comparisons man no i just said he had a lot of negative plays like barry sanders is that not true that was always a dramatically overblown part of barry sanders game okay great i didn't equate saquon and, and sanders no man. it was Don't. the sanders criticism i wasn't standing for oh okay barry sanders is the best ever um what was i talking about but Saquon, we weren't in this headspace we were starting to get into the headspace of just don't even touch running backs in the first round 
But I think even with Barkley, we were saying it's certainly not a two. You can't do it at two. But you do it in, in the teens or whatever, and he's got to be the icing on a cake for an offense. Has to be. And, but I don't think he's nearly as good of a runner as Bijan Robinson. But I think the Saquon Barkley thing was if you can block it up or if you can give him a little bit of space, he could be the best home run hitter in the NFL. Now, he hasn't really been. He has been at times. He's been up there. But Nick Chubb has really been the best, probably the best home run hitter in mm-hmm. the NFL. And, and, and again, this goes back to predicting this stuff. You're trying to say this guy's the outlier, but the outliers that we have found, the best guys that we have found were Nick Chubb in the second and Dalvin Cook in the second, who I thought was the best running back that draft anyway, uh, and Derrick Henry in the third. Those are the best running backs we've yeah, that's why, at eight overall. That's why number one on that checklist exists. If you don't have the the situation already, don't do it. You're already out of the conversation immediately. No. If you have an average system, if you have an average offensive line, if you have nothing, like if you're not already a good running game, forget it. You're not in the out. Number one, X, you do not pass to number two. You were immediately saying no, you're looking somewhere else. But the Browns. So who's equipped? Who's the Browns equipped? already had that. The Eagles. Besides the Eagles, there's anyone anyone else besides the Eagles? Because again, Dallas, I am, I am more willing. Let me know, by contradicting myself, I am more willing to put the elite running back into a situation that also has a high end running quarterback. The the Eagles with Jalen Hurts, um, you know, if the if the Texans want to draft Anthony Richardson and Bijan and have Damian Pearson, like you, if you really want to pivot and build your run game first and then build your pass game off of that run game. Someone that has a great running quarterback. The Bears. I don't want the Bears to pick him at nine, but like, I, is that the way to maximize B. John Robinson's value by putting him with a running quarterback? Even though the running, back, the running quarterback makes it easier for everybody, so is that contradictory to say you put the elite quarterback with the running quarterback, the elite running back with the quarterback, that makes it easier? You gotta no. Learn. I mean, if they, again... It's the situation. If the situation is already conducive for a running back to have success, then you can move on to questions two and three. So that's the if you need the running back to change the dynamic beyond simply adding insane value on top of what's already good, then that that's a problem. Then you don't you're not in you're literally not even in this discussion. So that's another thing is that the is he worth a first round pick thing. It's not, it's not a blanket statement. Like, it's, it's only if these three checklist items are ticked, which they, are, they aren't for a lot of teams. They only are for a few of them. If you look at, the, like, the NFL right now, the teams that that is true for, it's what? Philadelphia, definitely. I think Dallas is probably another one. Um, Chicago would probably be one, though it remains to be seen what their offense actually looks like once we put these new pieces together in place. Detroit is probably one. Um, that might be it. I mean, Cleveland, yeah, but they already have their running back. Like, you know, there's a couple of teams like that. Cincinnati, I guess, would be in that discussion, maybe, though their offense wasn't exactly firing in terms of the ground game last year. So it's not a lot of teams we're talking about that that applies to. Isn't it easier to make the argument for a team like Cincinnati that even though they don't have a great run-blocking offensive line, though, Bijan Robinson may be adding a little bit more value than Joe Mixon as a runner? Just just adding a few extra yards here and there and maximizing what they have. Yeah, but you we can already talk saw, yourself into that. No, because I think the problem was that that is in the in the non-functioning category where the problem is not that you can't improve it with a running back. It's that he's not going to take it where it needs to go. Like it, it improved by Samaji Piran carrying the ball, 
So don't spend a first-round pick on that. Like, yeah. go get a guy, go get Zach Charbonnet, go get part, whoever you want lower down. Part of the argument, and so part of the argument against a first-round running back as well is, and this is where data lies, is you're, you're more likely to feed that guy. You're more likely to want to get your value out of that, out of that player. Therefore, you're going to lean on the run game maybe more than you should when points come in the pass game, right? So if you could, but if you could be disciplined and not say, well, we just drafted B. John Robinson, we got to make him a 20 carry a, a game guy. If you could be disciplined and truly only use him as, you know, the other piece of your offense, or he goes to an offense that's going to run the ball a ton, that has the quarterback, that's a runner, and you're going to, you're already going to run the ball a lot. You're the Ravens, you're the Eagles, you're already going to run the ball. You're the Bears, you're already running the ball a lot. And if you're going to do that, why not have somebody really good doing it? That's That to me is part of the argument as well. If you're like, if you're the Bucks at 19 that don't check your boxes, don't have the offensive line in place, don't have the quarterback, you're not building your offense against around B. John Robinson. Like there, there, there's probably meetings in Tampa Bay being like, we were the worst team in the league running the ball last year. How can we fix it? Well, B. John Robinson could be there at 19. Like that discussion's probably probably being had, and that should be the X. No, thank you. We, yeah, that's, he's not saving. He's not saving this. That's thing. the Pittsburgh folly. That was Pittsburgh. We've already a seen years that. ago. Yes. All right. Good stuff. New England. Like somebody asked if New England should take Bijan at 14. Like New England is the absolute example of a revolving door of day three and undrafted running backs who always seem to have success because they have everything else, offensive line, good scheme. They've had the quarterback in Brady for the most part, and they just get the most. And, and they have, they have uh, Stevenson there, mm -hmm. who's already good. Ramondre, they just got late round a couple years ago. Like, also, every, they're another example like San Francisco where every time they invest in a running back, the guy that had less investment in him outperformed him. Like Damian Harris was a high pick and was outperformed by Ramondre. And then Sony Michel was a first-round pick and was buried on that depth chart by a bunch of guys who were better than him. Lawrence Maroney was getting benched back in yeah. 08, 07, 08, whenever it was for other people. Any other crazy rumors happening right now? So there is uh, another another kind of uh, trend that the offensive tackles may end up sliding relative to expectations. We've Who's going to get drafted if everybody's sliding? Well, that's the thing. So it's also, by the way, how many offensive tackles are even in this draft since everybody seems to be project projecting these people a guard? Skaronsky, you just outright labeled him a guard the last show. Um, Freud. The Paris Johnson Jr. I've seen – talked about as a guard greg cassell said that guy projects better as a guard uh all of a sudden like we're running out of tackles wow, paris johnson's career. way too long to be a guard he's apparently according to greg he's stiff-hipped and tight and this projects better to the interior yeah it might be true that might be true i just i think people are going to give paris i've seen johnson that before up. i got asked on a radio hit somewhere was that guy a, a guard or a tackle like this is not a it's not an out there Suggestion: There is a significant group of people. Current PFF draft board, you see it right there. Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State, Darnell Wright from Tennessee, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, Broderick Jones from Georgia. That's yeah. the top five. We have them all in the top 32. So there's a significant group of people that think the first two tackles on PFF's board are, in fact, guards. Then you have Darnell Wright, who, as you articulated, would have one of the worst run-blocking profiles of any tackle ever drafted. That takes you down to 20 on the PFF big board. It's, I mean, all of a sudden, it's not difficult to find 
tackle struggling to get into this first round. I, I will say, I don't love the tackle class. I don't like them at all. Um, I was actually, I was doing some more studying of that position last night. Here's an interesting one, Sam. Nick Casario a couple years ago said, there's a, he was at, at Sloan, he said, there's a data point that people use that actually doesn't correlate to success. And, and I think it's, it could be a few different things, but I think it's arm length for tackles. And it's because of the selection bias, and it's because the NFL, as I was, I was looking at wingspan and, and arm length last night, and so when a, when a guy, if you just use strict correlation, like does this thing lead to success, arm length is actually, and wingspan are actually negatively correlated at tackle, as in bigger is not always better, longer is not always better as far as arm length and wingspan goes. And it's, but, it's, but it's a selection bias thing. It's the NFL's fault because there's so many players who are just have incredibly long arms and all that stuff who aren't very good at football yeah. that, that, that the NFL drafted. That was always... So it's really, really interesting that, they, that there's no direct correlation there. You have to figure out, is it thresholds? Like, how do you yeah. use that data? I don't think it was ever supposed to be the longer the wingspan, the better. It was, it was, thre- it was a threshold thing. This is why Skoronsky is interesting because he's below the threshold. 33 inches was supposed to be the cutoff. And if you're below 33 inches, now we're into problematic territory. And the question, as you point out, is now is that selection bias or is that actually a thing? Like, do we simply not give guys that, are give, that have 32-inch arms the chance to play tackle and therefore it looks like you can't play at that, that length? Or is it actually the guys with 32-inch arms are going to struggle playing tackle? Yeah, I, I, I just wish we had more data points of, of the forest lamps of the world getting an opportunity to play. Or, I mean, my biggest one would be forget the forest lamps of the world. I want the data points of I want the Ravens to keep Marshall Yanda at right tackle. I want the Cowboys to give Zach Martin a chance to play right tackle. Like the guys that we know. I bet Joe Tooney could have played yeah, tackle. Like the guys that we know, or Josh Sitton. Like remember, you know, Josh Sitton was the best pass blocking guard in the NFL for years. Got a couple of games here or there with injuries where he had to play tackle. Like that was their plan. The left tackle goes down, Josh Sitton's kicking out. Like the guys that we know were amazing NFL players, but never got the chance or very briefly got the chance to play tackle and then were projected inside the guard. Like, those are the data points I want. Not the guys that we just don't know if they were any good or not, but the guys that we know were good but didn't get a real chance to play at tackle. That would help. That would help maybe balance the, the data a little bit. But again, I, st- I still think there's people that say, well, this guy's got 35-inch arms. The potential's there. Same thing happens on the defensive, 35-inch arms. Um, there's a, probably a little better correlation to arm length and wingspan and all that stuff on the defensive side. Mike, but on uh, offense, there's not. Mike brought up whenever the show he was on that we were talking about when he was talking to Paul Alexander, and he was saying that his he used to have a threshold. I think it was 35, 34 back in the day. Like that was what we want: 35 inch arms, 34 inch arms. That's what we're looking for. And then as the game changed, as things developed, he changed that threshold and he brought it down. Like now we only need 33. And he says if he was doing it today, if he was like deciding when we were drafting players today, wouldn't have one. Doesn't need it. It's irrelevant. He needs footwork. Like the arm length is no longer a thing. Footwork and, and hand usage. Hand usage isn't just how long are your arms. Like you can be that that technically sound. And that and honestly, that is where the selection bias comes in. The guy, the exceptions yeah. that have had opportunities are guys who are so good at everything else. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I love this man. I, I would I would I'm sorry that I I just want to apologize to Peter Skaronsky that I called him a guard hmm. on Monday's show. Yeah, it was disrespectful. I didn't mean it. 
my my data says he's a tackle and maybe the only elite tackle prospect. So the model says he's a tackle and yet you still branded him a guard. Well, I told you this is, you know, I'm I'm not it's not a sophisticated model. So it's, you know, pure linear regression here. So you've uh... So here's so my point is because arm length is negatively correlated, it works in his favor to have way- short arms. Yes. He's on the right side of this. Doesn't make direct sense you know (laughs) but i could also say look there's nobody at his arm length that has had nfl success so what do you do with that you just you haven't seen it and and this is the draft this is legitimately the draft of outliers yeah height weight speed arm length outliers everywhere from bryce young to peter skaronsky to tank dell to jordan addison all of them there's outliers everywhere in this draft and that's why it doesn't feel great. I mean, I, I think because there's a lot of first-rounders that are like, eh, yeah, but. Yeah, but. yeah it, it, not only because of that. I think it's going to be a fascinating round one because between those two things, between it being a draft of physical outliers that we've talked about before and there being potentially a relatively low number of guys that everybody is confident in having first-round picks on, I think you are going to see more Cole Stranges in this draft than previous years like it isn't going to be one, we're going to get two or three picks at the bottom of the first round that are going to be Cole Strange they're going to be Jonathan Mingo that are going to be like what the hell is that because teams are going to see this so wildly differently like if you're again if you're a team that needs or wants size at wide receiver if you looked at our wide receiver rankings you might be out on players like two through eight so you're immediately, like you might be drafting the ninth wide receiver on other people's boards if they're just stacking them as if they're all playing one position. If that's the thing you want, you're, you're grabbing a guy like Mingo or Cedric Tillman or, or somebody completely crazy relative to expectations. You know, the same thing is going to be true with other positions. Like linebacker is a, a wild position group with massive variants of these kind of stick insect, lightweight but fast guys versus a Jack Campbell, who's like your classic 1990s New York Giants profile of body Love type. Love him. Right. So I think you're going to see a, you know, a selection of these picks at the bottom of the first round where teams get to their spot. They're like, well, we don't really have a first-round draft grade on anybody. We can't trade out. Who do we want? Who do you like? And it's going to be a Mingo. It's going to be you know whoever. Yeah. Players with second-round grades. Yeah. Going in the first. Our guy Brad Spielberger has a few more of these rumors over at PFF.com. We've talked about some of them already, one of the four top. So completely just yes or no, are you buying or selling? One of the top four quarterbacks slides out of the top ten. One of them, one of the, yes, one of the top four, I think, will slide out of the top ten. I will buy that as well. The wide receivers will come off the board later than most mock drafts have predicted. That's a little vague, but... Uh, the idea that we've heard this rumor that people think, hey, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the only first-round wide receiver. Um, by the way, uh, Anthony Tresh, just upstairs, he's going to be doing day three of the draft for us. He told me the over-under, I haven't seen this specifically, but Zay Flowers over-unders, like, he's, he's favorited to go in the top 22 at the moment. Yeah, that that's- which is a wild departure from our ranking and the consensus board. I also feel like that could like usually that's because there's like one or two. Teams. That's the Patriots thing. Is that is that the New England Zay Flowers connection? I think so. Yeah. For a team that's really tight-lipped about a lot of stuff, there's been a lot of true rumors about New England over the last couple of years that they were all in on certain players and yeah, they became the guy. But do you think the receivers will come off the board later than most mock drafts have? 
predicted? No, because I just think that the position is so valuable, they're going to get taken. I'd be surprised if there was anything fewer than three first-round wide receivers. Now, I can see certain guys falling. Like the Peter Schrager had Quentin Johnson going 31 overall. I could see that happening. I could, and I could see that with any of these guys. Like if, if Jordan Addison fell into the second round, it wouldn't surprise me. If any one thing happening from this group, I think, makes perfect sense. But the totality of all that adding together, I'd be shocked if there were less than three first-round wide receivers. Are there any players we, – we discuss this every year, Sam. Are there any players that you feel like you're pushing back against, not because you – don't like them as players, but just because you don't like that they're going in the top 15 or going in the top 10. Quentin Johnston comes to mind. Where would you? Where do you like Quentin Johnston? And, um, or a guy like Darnell Washington from Georgia. You've, you've gone on record saying, I don't like either of those guys in the first round. I don't like, or, or as much as other people. Are, are they more palatable for you in like the 30s or 40s? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of guys that, that, makes, that fit that kind of... There's a bunch of guys that I just think are in a differ being talked about in a different area of the draft than I think makes sense like Darnell Washington as a first rounder to me is crazy I just don't understand that in today's NFL I don't I don't think he has the chops essentially to play not to not play tight end but like he his comp to Mercedes Lewis I think makes a lot of sense and Lewis was a first round pick right back in he the went day. like 26 or something yeah, like that yeah but I I'll, think, I'll be I'll be live tweeting the 06 draft cool soon but I think yeah. if you looked at you wouldn't say that made sense now, you know? Like if you redid that draft or if you redid his career and projected him into the NFL now, you wouldn't say that's a first-round pick. Like that's a useful player and a lot of people wanted him on their roster, but you wouldn't spend a first-round pick on that. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about with Darnell Washington, which is this giant plus blocker who can be an attached tight end to the formation and offer a little bit of juice in the passing game here and there. That's not a first-round pick in a world where... Where would you take that? So it, do you not like Darnell Washington as a prospect, or you just would rather take him at 50 or 60 well, the, or 100? Or? It's effectively the same answer. Like, I don't think he's a great prospect. The, the reasons I don't think he's worth a first-round pick are the reasons that I you know, don't... Like, he's not... He isn't as good a receiver as basically any of these guys. So yeah. and that's everything in t- today's tight end world. Like, the guy being a plus blocker is fine. It's nice, but... It's not that valuable. I'm intrigued by mismatch creators. Probably, I just don't think he can do that. Probably too much. I he can't. Like he's when we look at some of the other tight ends in this class, I think Michael Mayer wins at the catch point really well. Yeah. Good ball skills. I think Dalton Kincaid can do it all. And I think Darnell Washington can can just boss people at the catch point and win. And so that's when you get the right linebacker mismatch. You put him out wide or whatever it is. But I still, you know, I, I want my, I want all of those tight ends other than Kincaid to be my number four option in an ideal world. Kincaid can be two or three. I, but I want them to be my four option. And if he's my fourth option, I, I mean, I like Washington as a pass catch mismatch guy as much as maybe Sam Laporta or I, Luke Musgrave or any of those other guys going I, the high I think second. we're miss. I I think we're overselling that's plus the run blocking plus the run blocking which does ma- i mean means it means a little something because no one else can do it sam laporta can't run block luke musgrave can't run block none of those kincaid can't do it 
you still have to run block 350 times probably. Yeah, but we also, the problem, okay, there's a couple of problems. Number one, we don't know that that will translate particularly well. There are other guys that are coming to the league that we have said, oh, this guy run blocks really well. That's a strength of his, and it's never been a strength in the NFL. O.J. Howard was supposed to be the run blocking tight end from that class, and O.J. Howard has stank pretty much <laughs> throughout his NFL career, True. including at the blocking part. So, yes, Darnell Washington can move a sled around at the combine like nobody else in this draft class. We don't know if he can do that in the NFL to actual NFL players trying to stop him. So that's number one. Point number two, I think we are potentially overestimating the impact that sheer size has on being a mismatch in today's NFL. Like, think, look at the relative lack of production in year one, admittedly coming from a very raw base of Jelani Woods, right? Six foot seven, two fifty. I loved Woods last year. The exactly, same way, right? I like. I want Washington Insane on my team. Insane physical tools, and yet the Colts third. threw thirty six passes in his direction last season. Like that's their fault. Okay, but they've also had Mo Ali Cox for years, who's been this mismatch problem. Hasn't been able to be a big factor. I think we're underselling how important, like route running, <laughs> understanding defenses, getting open is as a tight end. Like it, it, the, you have to be absurdly good to be able to win like Gronk which is you know effectively through size most of the time like most of the guys he no but he was but he was quick in a route route like you can't compare but Gronk's Gronk. like Gronk wins in a different way than all of the other elite tight ends in the last few years like he has relied more on size and strength and physicality in the catch point than these other guys like, he yeah. just has and I think we are overestimating how possible that is like you need to be Gronk for that to be your thing and Darnell Washington almost certainly is not Gronk. Yeah, I also agree. I mean, if, if Mercedes Lewis is the comp, you don't want to go out of your way to get Mercedes Lewis. I also think, by the way... But I would take it in a second. There are, there are times where I think direct comparisons to certain players make a lot of sense. And, you know, when you're evaluating, okay, where should Darnell Washington be drafted? Is he worth a first-round pick? And then you look simply at his own team in Georgia. Now, not being the first, the best tight end in your own team is not necessarily a negative, right? Brock Bowers. Brock uh, Bowers is going to come up, and everybody's going to say Travis Kelsey next Yeah, year. and he's going to be talked about as one of the best tight ends to come along in years. My point being, he will be a surefire first-round draft pick. So if he is a surefire first-round draft pick, the difference between him and Darnell Washington is a yawning chasm of ability. Like, that's a... It's not a good argument. Why it doesn't not? matter. Of course it matters. It doesn't matter what's on his team. It matters. It means Georgia has recruited good tight ends. But the point being, that is showing you what a first-round tight end looks like. This, that's not it. Yeah, that part's fine. I mean, I think that's we the agree. argument. I agree. I, we agree he's a second-rounder. Yeah, the point being, like, there's a but guy everybody, on his own team. Second-rounders are going to go on the first this year because there's only four first-round picks. That's it. Yeah. I have so, uh, I have. I have. Six non-quarterbacks I would take in the first, I think. Six non-quarterbacks Let me see. you're taking in the first. One, two, three, four. No, it's probably ten. Four offense, six defense, and then QBs. I, I it feels to it. me like there's about 20 guys that belong in the first round from this class. No, so this is the thing. If you stick with my high standards, your hit rate will go up. Yeah, and you never draft anybody. No, you keep trading down until you get guys with your standards. Or if they you, can't trade down. Then you have to do what the Patriots do. Just you got to draft Cole find Strange, a way to trade. twenty-six overall, whatever it was. No, well, it's never going to be Cole Strange. It wasn't a model guy. 
the heck is this? Our friend uh, Chris Trapasso at, at Timely here. He's just just tweeted out his. Uh, he's a avid listener of the show, uh-huh. CBS Sports. Chris has just posted his tight end rankings. Yeah, let's trash him because because he, you know, he's friend of the show. Number one, Darnell Washington. Number two, Michael Mayer. You're going to really hate these rankings. Sounding that way, yeah. Number three, Sam Laporta. Come on. Number four, Dalton Kincaid. I, I. I Followed so, by Will Mallory, Zach Kuntz, Luke Musgrave, Brenton Strange, Tucker Will Craft. Mallory. I did like Mallory from the combine. Now his his profile is abysmal, but his combine was really good. Zach Kuntz is maybe the most interesting man in the draft. That's the highest I've seen Will Mallory, I think, in any rankings ever. Yeah. Zach Kuntz has one of the most ridiculous workouts in history as yeah. well. At 6'8", with incredible movement skills and burst and all that stuff, it just doesn't always show up on the football. So I've been, I've been uh, making a pretty big point recently of saying, look, the draft is a crapshoot. Nobody knows anything, right? And a week ago, there were all number of people up in my mentions telling me I was an idiot for ranking C.J. Stroud below Will Levis. And now all of a sudden, like, there are odds out saying that Levis is the favorite over Stroud to go number two. And the point being... You're using that to just prove that you're you're not as big of an idiot or that you were right. Not that you were right, but that you're just not on an island. Well, simply, it's not idiotic. Like, if the NFL is about to do that, like, yeah. it's, you know, enough people think that, that it's not an idiotic take. My point has been simply that, look, the draft is a crapshoot. Everybody is batting at a terrible rate. Like, the strike rate from anybody is like 30%. So, talking in absolutes about any of this is absurd. Like... I think we, it's interesting hearing conversations from people that can articulate why they think certain things, right? Dane Brugler and I view cornerbacks in a very different way. He's buying into traits. And I'm like, look, traits are great, but if I haven't seen him actually play at a high level, I'm very leery about that. So consequently, we have Christian Gonzalez ranked first in Brugler's take or sixth or seventh on mine, depending on what you do with Brian Branch. So these are interesting conversations, and I think – each side of that is perfectly respectable side to take. Like anyone that wants to make the argument, I buy into traits. I'm projecting this guy to be a better NFL player than he is right now going forward. All right, hundred, cool, cool. I wouldn't make that move if I was the GM. I wouldn't risk it. But anyone that wants to, I get where you're coming from, and I I entirely understand the argument and I respect it. Like I'm not going to tell you it's wrong because everybody's batting, uh, you know. Everybody's shooting forty percent or, or worse. You're coming around to my to my take here, I think, which but, is which is uh, let just he could be fine, but let someone else take him. Right, which is the thing I've said in previous drafts. For, like you didn't invent that as a concept. <laughs> yeah, but there's anyway. like but there's like a lot of really good players who are probably deserving to go in the first round. Where if you if you stand with your convictions, if you just raise your standards. In, you'll just you'll pass on players yeah there's plenty of times where it's like i understand why like i wouldn't have taken the gamble on trayvon walker in the first round i get why people did in number one and blah, blah. i wouldn't have done it because it's a massive gamble anyway but was where i was getting to with that sorry there comes a point where i can't actually see the argument to have a guy ranked over another guy other than simply i i think i i think it should be this way you know and that that's where i I can't. I cannot see the case that would put Dalton Kincaid fourth in a list of tight ends in this class. I can see you saying Michael Mayer is a better tight end than Dalton Kincaid. I get that argument. I, I understand that. I disagree, but I respect it. I can kind of see the argument that would put Darnell Washington above him. I would think that's an even harder sell, and I think that's bordering on crazy. 
but I at least get the case. I really can't see an argument that puts Kincaid fourth. Yeah. I just I can't. The only I, argument, I think, is the one I'm going to use for why I think I'm, I actually might make an official prediction that Tyree Wilson will fall because he didn't work out. We haven't seen the workout right. from Kincaid or from Wilson. And I'll just say, if the NFL, the NFL is far more analytically sound now than they were 10 years ago. And if there's positions where you definitely want to confirm your priors by having a workout and say, Dalton Kincaid is very athletic on the field. Tyree Wilson, athletic on the field. But edge defender, you absolutely want to. Like, if Trayvon Walker didn't work out last year, he might not go in the first round. Yeah. He might not go in the first round. Right. Georgia, if, I mean, number if, one overall pick, Trayvon Walker, went number one, number one overall because the workout was insane. Yes. Tyree Wilson may have had this insane workout in him that people think was there, but they didn't actually see it. Right. If you're, and I think that Trayvon, uh, Ty, uh, Tyree Wilson could fall because of it. Kincaid, similar. Tight end and edge are both positions where I think the workout matters a lot. Well, simply, I mean, if your entire selling point on a prospect is the workout, is the athletic testing, is the freakish measurables, if you don't get those measurables, then you, what is your case? Like, that's the problem. Now, Tyree Wilson is supposed to work out, and we'll get some kind of number. No, it's, it's over, I think. It's, the date has passed. The day has passed? He was supposed to do it the 15th or so. It was, like, was going to be like a tax day workout or something. <laughs> tax day workout. Um, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Aaron Wilson, Aaron Wilson underscore NFL, doing, um, it's not the Lord's work, it's the agent's work. How many agent buzzwords are in this tweet here, Sam? Ready? While you're looking that up. Penn State football safety. Linebacker? Safety slash linebacker. So he's a multi-position. Team captain, Jonathan Sutherland. He lists all of his measurables. Mm -hmm. He did Eagles, Jets, and Giants local prospect days per league source, a.k.a. an agent. Special teams ace, 35 tackles, one sack, one fumble recovery in 2022. That is direct from the agency. That's impressive. He's a special teams ace and a team captain and multi-position flexibility and all the workout numbers in there. Vertical, broad, speed, pretty solid. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, I can't find anything about Tyree Wilson's workout. Exactly. My point being, if you're... He's going to fall because you don't have those numbers. Yeah. If your argument about a prospect is he's got incredible athleticism and then you never get an actual number on that athleticism, it's a harder case to make. It is. We think this guy has special ability, but we've never actually seen it put next to these other guys. Like on, you know, we haven't seen him do his vertical, broad, blah, blah, blah. I'll answer unnamed people in the chat. Why do workouts matter? Um, Because you can actually put numbers to the workouts in which things project at the NFL level. And there's a pretty rich database of that. That's the thing, right? You could 40 is overrated. Yeah, it is. The 40 in, in isolation is overrated. But when you take all of the workout numbers, it, you have a very rich database going back 30 years, a very rich database, and you look positionally at which things translate. Like 40 time for tackle. Yeah, of course it doesn't matter. Of course, there's things that don't matter, but there are things that, that do matter if you weigh them properly. And I'm just telling you, the, the best players in the NFL at certain positions, it's not even a, a threshold thing, but overall, they're I mean, just better at certain things. Edge rusher is the best example. Like, look at the athletic profile of the best edge rushers in the NFL. They're all elite, effectively. Oh, like, I did it. Also, there are guys that have had pretty spectacular tape in college at those positions, 
and have not have just simply not been NFL caliber athletes and consequently have not been good NFL players. Like it, it is a thing that matters. Now, does it matter to the exclusion of all else? Absolutely not. And that's why I wouldn't have taken Trayvon Walker number one overall. I might not have taken him in the first round because there was almost nothing in his college tape that suggested that athleticism was going to get channeled into being an elite player. So there's a limit to this, but a starting point of does this guy have the measurables we think he has is actually going to get you quite a long way in terms of projecting how good a guy can be. So for, is- a, for a Tyree Wilson, if you never get that, now his ceiling is immediately in question. Like, I don't right. know if he can become Miles Garrett because we don't know if he has Miles Garrett athletic tools in his bag. So this is really interesting, right? Because uh, Walt and other people in the chat are saying, well, you're PFF, you care about production, right? And absolutely we do. I- I'm telling you, NFL teams... I mean, most are using that. They're all modeling off of our data. Yes. Every analytics department that is mo- creating player models and draft models is using our data, not as 100%, but as a part of the model, Yes. right? And, and they're all doing it differently, right? Which is why I always joke, my model, everybody's weighing things differently and you can manipulate data and focus on different parts of it and whatever. But here's an, here's an interesting data point. I looked at edge defenders that did improve, right? Because we have production numbers that did improve from college to the NFL, which ones outperformed their production profile, which I still think is the best foundation for projecting edge defenders. But if we're going to find outliers, if we're going to find a guy to outperform their production profile, who are the types of guys? And most of them are longer, faster, stronger. And, I mean, and here are the guys on the list really quick. Danell Hunter, we use, we use him all the time, made the biggest jump in pass rush grade from college to the NFL. Josh Sweat, another unbelievable athletic freak eric armstead from the 49ers rashawn gary we pushed back on his athletic on his production profile he has improved lorenzo carter from georgia max crosby was actually an incredible workout warrior at eastern michigan quitty pay from michigan marcus davenport those are just some names on the list um it's not always everybody's got 35 inch arms and an incredible 40 and a 10 but overall, the athletic profile is stronger for, for say, edge defenders that did improve at the next level. I mean, so I, this, is, this would be my argument. If I had Tyree Wilson numbers, I would contradict myself and maybe go back the other way and say maybe he is worth it because he profiles as a guy that can improve. I mean, I think a better argument to combat what people are saying, you know, which is, oh, you're PFF. It should be all about the tape, all about the production. The, the measurables don't matter. We started grading college football for the first time in 2014, right? And when we did that, we had that first year of data, and we had no idea what it meant. We had no clue what projects to what. We hadn't. This was the first time anybody had this kind of quantifiable tape evaluation and numbers to the stuff that people just talk about. Oh, it's just it's just the tape. So, absent of knowing how important athleticism was versus tape versus all these kinds of things, production, we the first year we decided to sort of assume the tape was everything. Let's assume exactly what people are saying, that the tape is everything, that the production is everything, good college players will become good NFL players regardless of anything else. And we found out pretty quickly that that's not true. Some of our biggest misses in those first couple of years were the guys we went to bat hard for because they had elite college production and they simply did not have other NFL tools in the bank and were not NFL players. Uh, P.J. Dawson. Texas Tech Paul. playing back. Paul, yeah, well, yeah, he was Paul both, did. right? He went. Did he have Pete? I think he went back and PJ? forth between the two of them. Did he? I think it's certainly Paul. Uh, yeah, I think so. Anyway, Paul Dawson, 
whatever Dawson. Texas Tech linebacker? Is TCU. That where he's from? TCU. Um, incredible college linebacker. Scooby Wright, another guy. Incredible college linebacker. Those guys did not have NFL tool sets, and they simply could not translate that ability to the NFL level um, because athleticism matters a lot. Now, does that show up on tape? Sure, but that's, that's the same thing, right? You're, you're articulating the same thing. You can be a productive player without having elite measurables. Those measurables you should be able to see on tape. Sometimes you're not going to get it right or you're, you're going to want the validation of the actual measurement put in front of you, but the measurement matters. Like being able to make those athletic moves matters. You can't yeah. just look at against a lower level of competition, a guy who was able to dominate because, all right, but we're about to step it up where everybody runs a 4'6", weighs 260 pounds, and can jump out of the gym. So if, if, you're, if the thing you were doing no longer works against those guys, it's a different conversation. You can't yeah. ignore measurables. They do matter, and they, they're proven to matter. They're data points. They're data points. They, I, I just don't think you use them the same way. I, I, think, I think you actually like, have to quantify them. I think the tape matters far more on the offensive line than the than measurables and other positions but the the place where like tight end production it, again tape tape means something different for everybody too right does it mean quantified production does it mean i'm just calculating traits and i'm just throwing a number on i mean everything's different this is why it's it's art not science here in the draft mm -hmm. and uh you can manipulate numbers any way you want sure. it's a lot of fun though it's fun talking about it anything else anything else you want to Get off your chest here today. So what is our definitive take on whether the Texans will actually pass on a quarterback at two? My, my prediction is no, they will not. They will not pass on a quarterback. I will not. Every other year, what's, what are the other rumors that I've bought into that uh, the Dolphins were all in on Justin Herbert, that he was their guy, bought it completely, and they went to a— This is your overcorrecting year. You're now not buying anything. No, I'm just whatever, uh, whatever I'm feeling. I'm selling everything that's being pitched. I've just I've bought a lot, and now it might be time to sell. Okay, so I'm selling, selling the Texans. Selling the Texans, passing on a passing quarterback. On a quarterback. Well, let me give you the other side of the Texans thing: is that Will Levis is their guy at two, assuming Bryce Young goes number one. Selling, selling Levis. Yeah. So who's their QB? Stroud. Stroud. <laughs> Texans are taking Stroud. Texans are taking Stroud. All right. I proposed. I don't even know if this is legal, but Josh Norris, our friend, was. Uh, I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm not going to jail or anything. I'm just. Okay. He said he's rooting for chaos. Yeah. As people are rumored that the Texans aren't going to draft a QB. Usually what if they draft Will Anderson and then immediately – so can they, can they draft Will Anderson and then immediately trade for Lamar Jackson and then pick 12th goes to the Ravens? Because it, like right at the draft, that's their next yeah. first-round draft pick. Yes. So that's what I would do if I was Houston. It doesn't have to be their – which is – it has to be their own pick, I think, in the two – Does it? Yeah. But I don't know if that – See, I'm See, when I'm GM, I'll have my cap guy. Well, the other problem is I suspect sure I, stuff. I am almost certain that the wording in the, in the CBA is not specific enough to have covered the possibility that a team has two first-round picks and makes the move in between, in between. them. So that's, that's the thing, right? Yeah. That's what I would do. I would draft Will Anderson at two, then trade number 12 next year's first-rounder for Lamar Jackson. But also that's... Yeah, that you'd have to get. Then the Ravens at 12 select Anthony Richardson. We'd also have to have a contract worked out with Lamar and be able to get it in such a way that you trade. And so he would have to sign the tag. You tell the Ravens traded. what's happening. Yeah, you tell yeah, the Ravens. Yeah. You talk to the Ravens. But like, you can't look, do it. You couldn't do it with the 
the, the current setup of the tank being, you know, you give them the offer sheet, you wait for the week, they get, you know, you get two first round picks. It's that be, part is actually yeah. off the table. You would have to have the thing set up with Baltimore and Lamar that you have a deal worked out with him. You just trade him independently of this thing. He has to sign his thing, then get traded. That's, that's a world. Wouldn't that be a fun draft night, though? Sure. Texans come away with Will Anderson and Lamar Jackson. The Ravens are at 12. Uh-huh. They get the falling Anthony Richardson because no one else is willing to build their offense around him, and they've already got it well, they might ready not, to go. No, not anymore, they don't. They fired the guy that built it. That's true. Fired, let go. I kind of want to see what Lamar does in Baltimore. Yeah. With Todd Monken and everything. I mean, they reached out the, the olive branch of OBJ. I really think it was an olive branch. Yeah. I think I they're just why. trying to make their receivers better. No. Um, and then the Jalen Hurts contract only helps Baltimore's negotiating standpoint. Like every deal that gets made that isn't a five-year fully guaranteed contract helps the Ravens. Yeah. Because like Lamar's standpoint is that was precedent. I want precedent again. I want the fully guaranteed deal. Every deal that happens subsequent to that that isn't like that hurts his position. Good stuff, man. Jalen Hurts got paid. Mm. But, like, the a reasonable... crazy structure that they have. Yeah. So it's a reasonable... Like, I'm going to retire in four years. The next guy can handle the cap hit. Yeah. I mean, it's a reasonable... But, it's a, you know, you renegotiate it then. It gets redone again. Like, this is a yeah. relatively team-friendly contract again, despite the giant gaudy numbers. It's just a lot of backloaded money yeah. on there. Anything else? We got lunch upstairs. Hopefully, there's still some left. Hmm. Let's go eat. All right. Uh, we're going to rank edge defenders tomorrow? Yes. Oh, so here's what's happening. Friday is a very special show. Mm-hmm. I can't give away too much, but it's very special. 10.30 a.m., assuming everybody's on time. Could be a big assumption. Yeah. 10.30 a.m., live here on YouTube. Maybe the biggest PFF NFL podcast of all time. Okay. Is that overselling it? Probably. Okay, perfect. Biggest PFF NFL podcast of all time. What would uh, John or uh, Anik do? What would he do? Biggest fight of all time. Well, you know, sell the. F- I don't think Anik is big on the. Like Joe Rogan is. Rogan sells saying, it. Like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in the history yeah. of humanity. Friday will be the yeah. greatest PFF NFL podcast. No, no, no. He would go bigger. Oh. It would be. It will be the, the biggest football podcast. No. Biggest podcast uh-huh. of all time. There will never be a bigger podcast. Not even Rogan's. That's what we're saying. There will never be a bigger podcast. That's it. The biggest podcast event that's ever happened. Did you see the the fake podcast thing that came out with Rogan and uh, President Trump? This is another AI thing? Yeah. No. Somebody did uh, a fake AI podcast. And like I think some people bought it for a while. Yeah, it wouldn't. And it sounded legit. Yeah. Like Rogan was asking Trump, oh, what do you think about UFC and blah, blah, blah. Like Everything was good until, until Rogan says... Uh, what'd you think of the last fight? What'd you think of this week's fight or something? Yeah, it was very generic. And uh-huh. I was like, okay, that. But up until that point, it was like pretty close. Yeah. I mean, the, the technology is pretty scary. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> There's going to be some crazy stuff happening soon. Really cool. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow. And mark it on your calendar for Friday, the biggest podcast in the history of podcast history. Mm-hmm. That's right. History. See you guys. <laughs>